After a busy start to the 118th session, Congress is on recess this week. Members are contemplating a number of important issues, though. Besides the debt limit, they've got some crucial reauthorizations ahead. We get details from Bloomberg Government Deputy News Director Lauren Duggan. And, yeah, quick recess for, I guess, the President's Day holiday week. And uh, what what's top of mind when they do get back? Well, we can start with the debt limit. and No real progress so far, is there? No real progress. Um, there was a discussion a couple of weeks ago between President Joe Biden and Speaker Kevin McCarthy, who are going to be key to getting out of this. Uh, we did have an important CBO report come out last week where they said that the government's ability to operate using extraordinary measures now that we've hit the debt ceiling will expire sometime between July and September. So if you're looking for a period of time to bracket off on the calendar, that's going to be some potentially very tense and busy months as they approach that X date, as it's known. And the uncertainty there also makes it a little uncertain how quickly they're going to have to move. But we will see some more talk about this. We've obviously seen a lot of political discussion, as we saw in the State of the Union, um, and that will continue. But, you know, sometimes you see noise in front of you and um, talks will start going on behind closed doors, especially within the different party groups as they line up and figure out what they want their position to be. Right. And the pattern of Congress in recent decades, certainly recent years, is if there's a deadline, let's go up to it. Absolutely. One of our most popular charts at Bloomberg Government is just a list of the deadlines because those deadlines drive action, whether it's a program lapsing or something like the debt limit. Um, those tend to create must-pass bills that, by the way, are also attractive vehicles for other things to move along with them. So this is going to be one of the key deadlines, um, obviously, and will potentially overshadow a lot of the other discussion as they try to figure out what to do here. And there's a couple of bills for the federal workforce. I think Tim Kaine from Virginia has that bill to forever bury the idea of that Section F designation for certain federal senior executives. Yeah, and bills like that may get some discussion. They may even get some action in the Homeland Security and Government Affairs Committee. And, you know, defense authorization may be an interesting time to raise that as an amendment. So we'll we'll see how proposals like that go. The House did pass a bill like that under Democratic control in the last Congress, but I'm not sure if Republicans will pick that up because they may like the idea of that flexibility if they take control of the White House and have more control two years from now. So that, that's an idea that a lot of the D.C. area representatives and Congress and senators in particular would like to see passed because it affects their workers directly. But um, the, the Schedule F thing is certainly a controversial thing in the minds of some folks. And what are the chances of that eight point, I guess, the FAIR Act with the 8.7 percent pay raise? It's interesting because there's bipartisan support for that idea year after year, yet somehow it never actually does become law. Some smaller amount of pay raise ends up being what feds get. Well, I mean, we're in an environment now where Republicans in particular on the House side are calling for curbing federal spending and and a salary increase like that might be a hard sell, especially if it's been hard even under the complete Democratic control we had in the last Congress. But that could be another thing that's brought up in different contexts. Um, Obviously, compromise is going to be the key thing to get anything, a spending bill across the line or or something that would perhaps fund a raise like that. But um, it, it may be a hard sell just given the current environment we're in. We're speaking with Lauren Duggan, Deputy News Director of Bloomberg Government. And there are some authorizations that are kind of important that take place, that need to take place before June, July or day X, correct? Well, they're more in the September 30th range, the, oh, the two okay. big ones we're watching. X this plus year. one. Uh, X plus one, exactly. So there are many things that are up 
up for renewal this year. But the two that are top of mind for folks, one is the Farm Bill, which governs the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program and farm subsidies and will be a big flashpoint because there there could be work requirements imposed on SNAP and other efforts to curtail some of the subsidies for farm systems. But that's going to be one of the marquee ones. The other one is for the Federal Aviation Administration, which um, obviously has been in the news a lot with the failure of NOTAM, the the system that sends messages to pilots, which led to that ground stoppage earlier this year, and then just general interest in, you know, what what experiences passengers and airlines and the aviation system has in general. So those two bills are two of the marquee ones, but there are a number of other programs that different committees will be taking a look at and deciding how to reauthorize and how to change as their dates come up for, for renewal. But both the farm bill and the FAA bill have mandatory aspects to them and in a must pass nature that we might even have to look at extensions if they can't come to agreement by the expiration of those on September 30th. Right. The FAA has a couple of major modernization programs going on. Both of them seemed like endlessly long to get to the GPS navigation system. And then nobody ever heard of NOTAMs unless you were a pilot. And now everybody knows what it is. Interestingly, they had a modernization plan for that. No dates, no deadlines that I could find looking at the website to it. In fact, even the website had no dated pages. So I think the FAA is going to get a lot of scrutiny, is my sense, coming up. Absolutely. And we even saw the hearing last week in the Senate where the acting administrator was up there trying to answer questions about a lot of different things, not just no tams, but also near misses at airports that um, Ted Cruz, for example, brought up, and he's going to be a key player in the FAA legislation. So a lot will go into this bill. There's a lot of questions members of Congress on both sides of the aisle and uh, in both chambers will have. So there'll be, there will be a lot of scrutiny of that agency, which, as you know, is currently without a full-time administrator and has an acting one at the moment. Right. That's one, too. And speaking of acting and full-time, Danny Warfel did finally have his hearing before the Senate Finance Committee last week for commissioner of the IRS. That one appears to be in good shape. It does. Even after the hearing, some Republicans were saying that they are comfortable with him and would be willing to back him in a 5149 environment that we're in. If the Democrats alone held together, they could get him over the line. But it seems like this one might be one with some more bipartisanship behind it with some R's in the yes column on that nomination, because I think they they approach him as more of a technocrat that wants to go in there and and run the agency. And and so that gave comfort to some of them, um, even as they are going to argue vehemently over the next couple of years over the $80 billion infusion of money to that agency that was part of last year's reconciliation package. And that's more of an IOU than an actual appropriation, because anything that's over 10 years means it could go away in a given session. They could claw it back. It was multi-year funding when it was put into law. And one of the first bills that House Republicans had was to claw that money back or anything that hadn't been spent so far. So there could be efforts to curtail that in the future. But uh, you know, if nothing changes, that money is flowing toward the agency and, and towards hiring staff and changing systems. And I overlooked the fact that uh, you pointed out that the labor secretary has announced his impending departure, the first secretary level departure of the Biden administration. That's right. He's taken a job at the National Hockey Hockey League's Players Association. He's a longtime union person, and um, he's obviously became 
Dep or U.S. Secretary of Labor, and now he's going to this job. And um, so he'll be leaving sometime in March, I believe, and that will open a key vacancy. Uh, I think the Deputy Secretary will probably be in the mix, as will some other people, former members of Congress, even potentially who who left. Um, so that, that's going to be a key position to fill. Again, with the Senate in Democratic hands, it will be easier than if Republicans had control. But, um, you know, the Labor Department's involved in a lot of different policies that Republicans don't like, whether it's ESG rules or um, just general workplace issues. So that's going to be a, a key position to fill. But as you note, as the first cabinet official to go, he's had some White House officials come and go and, and lower level folks as well. But um, that's yeah. that's the first cabinet secretary. Well, if Marty Walsh goes back to Boston, which we presume he will, where he was mayor before you know being labor secretary, he can go to the Boards and Blades Club at the uh, New Boston Garden and not get in political trouble. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Lauren Duggan is deputy news director of Bloomberg Government. Thanks so much. Thank you. And we'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Sean Ferguson, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Chief of Staff to the Office of the Chairman at the Special Olympics, joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to discuss the importance of leadership, inclusion, and community building. To learn more about how you can get involved with the Special Olympics in your community, visit specialolympics.org slash get dash involved. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned working with that community? Oh, uh, yeah, almost, uh, Shane, it's almost immeasurable. The things I've learned since I've been with Special Olympics, I, um, one of the things that drew me to Special Olympics uh, when I made the move over from, from the NFL uh, was that my mother, my grandmother, my aunt all took care of, of people with intellectual disabilities and, and, and physical disabilities as well. So all of my life, I was uh, interacting and around um, usually, usually young people, but also adults with disabilities. And so I, I knew that I knew that work a bit, you know, they, they basically were in direct care. And, and I will say, and on a, obviously we'll say about my, my family, my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, they're saints. Uh, but, uh, the, the men and women that do take care of people with uh, profound disabilities are, are really, um, you know, we, we can't do enough to salute them. Um, they're, they're really heroes. And, um, so I was, I was drawn when I, I, and I just saw that, you know, Special Olympics was looking for someone. And I thought, well, you know, take a look at it and see, see you know, throw, uh, send in my information. And lo and behold, I, I, I get hired and, um, I learn. Uh, every day, almost something from, especially from our athletes. Uh, we're blessed to have a number of athletes that work here in our office in Washington, D.C. And, you know, uh, Terrell, who, who works in, in our mailroom, who comes by with packages and deliveries. Uh, if you're having a day that's, you know, getting away from you and you, you <laughs> coffee hasn't kicked in, but Terrell comes by, always happy, always enthused uh has a has a good story like it can just turn a day around for you and 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 you think of i i you know so often when you'll walk away i'll be like you know whatever was bothering me or whatever is you know stressing me out and come on you know like look at look at terrell like he he, he faces everything with optimism and 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 i've seen that also in our going to competitions in throughout the united states and globally you see people who have had everything stacked against them 
you know, their parents, when they were born, were often told this is a tragedy and you should, you should, you know, send your, this child away. Don't, don't, you know, and kind of forget about them, Get, turn them over to the state or, or wherever. And, and, you know, that, you know, just kind of wash, wash your hands of it. Um, and, and, and in, in these cases, the parents didn't do that, thankfully. Um, and, but they've still faced enormous challenges, you know, and, but you see them out competing on the basketball courts or the football fields or swimming and, uh, and, and, you know, besting their times from, from their last competition. And they're so committed and just keep fighting through all the obstacles that they've had in front of them that are not just on the sports field, but also in growing up and finding education and finding groups to be part of and trying to find jobs. And, and, and I've seen so much perseverance and grit uh, from the athletes of special Olympics that I, I, Tim Triver, my boss, the chairman uh, says all the time, and I couldn't agree with him more. uh, We get more than we give. Uh, working with Special Olympics, it, you know, we, and thank you for your very kind words about the work I do and we do, but but we're the lucky ones. We, those of us that work here are the lucky ones because I I said to someone the other day, you know, the things that I've been able to see and experience with athletes, you just don't get to do that anywhere. That that you know, it's a and it's so unique and it's so uh, joyful and and uh, I mean, we work hard and you know, we we're up against you know the things that nonprofits are up against and you know the you know the issues of the day. But uh, man, you see, it, it, and 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 the inclusion and the at Special Olympics, no one's excluded. You know, no, right. no one's excluded. Yeah. Everyone is equal at Special Olympics. It, and, you know, in a country that's quite divided on so many lines, politically and uh, socially, uh, economically, race and uh, sexual orientation and whatnot. But you go to Special Olympics and everyone's involved. Everyone's welcome. Everyone's equal. And I've learned that it's a model for our country and for our world. Uh, I, I just think that that if if people were involved in Special Olympics in experience the power of Special Olympics for themselves, I, I, I can't imagine that one help our country and help our world um, to experience that true inclusion and acceptance of difference. How, how do we get, how can listeners get involved in Special Olympics? Ways to get involved? Uh, tons of ways. So uh, volunteers, obviously, coaches, officials, um, and, and the thing that, that, that uh, Tim Shriver has done uh, and really pushed in the years that he's been chairman is the unified sports model that, that I'd mentioned earlier, um, where people and, and it doesn't have to be. Uh, it's not just school age. It's it's, uh, you know, we say nine to ninety nine or uh, year old uh, folks uh, that play on teams, uh, bowl together, golf together, play soccer, basketball together. Uh, people with and without intellectual disabilities competing on teams together. Um, and that is, I, I think, when you when you go back to the founding of, of our organization, what Mrs. Tri- Mrs. Shriver was trying to do uh, was to, to uh, create inclusion opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities. And you see it at these unified sports events where people with and without are playing together. We still have traditional uh, teams where it's all people with intellectual disabilities competing with other uh, teams, all intellectual disabilities. But this model of inclusive sports and inclusive leadership programs and whatnot, I think is truly 
revolutionizing and changing the way people see uh, others with intellectual disabilities. That's just like, I mean, that's what we, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring people together and bridge difference and, and, and celebrate differences and that our athletes, man, are some of the grittiest people that you will meet. And, and, uh, and there's a lot to learn from our athletes and playing sports with them and interacting is, is how you'll learn it. Check us out, uh, you know, uh, specialolympics.org on, on our website, uh, that will link you to your local program. You can follow through the, the clicks of how to get involved and where, what's closest to you. You'll enjoy it. I can promise you that. Well, thank you very much, Sean. And, and to everybody listening, I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and we'll, uh, Talk to you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.